So we're in Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. We're going to look at verses 8 through 40. We're going to finish chapter 11. That's the goal, by the way. <laughs> Hebrews 11, 8 through 40. And title I'm studying, uh, in a study I'm titling Faith Illustrated, the Old Testament edition. As the writer works through this and gives us a number of illustrations of these Old Testament saints. So while you're finding it, let's uh, begin with prayer. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you for the testimony, Lord, of, of people, Lord, who have given their life to you, both Jews and Gentiles. Lord, we thank you for how you have changed our life. Each one of us here tonight, Lord, you have brought us from darkness to light. Lord, you've given us a hope. Lord, you, you've given us joy. You've given us a faith. And now, Lord, you're not done. You want to use us mightily in this world. And so we ask that you would teach us, Lord, how to walk by faith. And um, Lord, as we look at these examples, that we would be encouraged and stirred up to receive those good things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Hebrews has given us a challenge. It's given us a challenge to make correct decisions as it relates to our beliefs in Jesus, but also our Christian walk. It's a challenging book. Often as we go through this book, we see these challenges as the writer very pointedly says, hey, listen, this is how you need to walk. You have two choices. You can either go back or you can go forward. We're given another challenge in this passage this evening before us. The writer is going to tell the Hebrews in this passage that, they, that if they want to please God and walk victoriously in their faith, in the face of the ancestors, then they need, then they, they, uh, they need to follow their example. Well, a tongue tied there. They need to follow their example. I'm not going to look at my wife for there. She'll, she'll laugh at me. <laughs> then they need to walk in the faith of their ancestors, which is a victorious life of faith. This truth is brought out in verses. 2 and verse 39 in uh, Hebrews eleven two, 2 it says for by it the elders obtained a good testimony and then again in verse 39 it says and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise and so that's the point of the writer here in this passage if the Hebrews and you and I want to please God which is to have a good testimony and have God use our life as these Old Testament saints well, then we need to press forward, trusting in him and also trusting in his promises. And then in order to illustrate that, he gives us all these different examples in between these two verses. Really, they're sandwiched in between these two verses to illustrate that main point. And so if you want to walk by faith, the Lord tells us how to in this passage. Last week, we left off with looking at Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Now we pick up with Abraham. Now the writer does something interesting here. He takes us through the Old Testament, but it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's the Septuagint. And we know that because he uses our divisions of the Bible. Last week we saw that he began with Genesis 4 through 9. Now he's going to pick up with Genesis chapter 12 with the life of Abraham and Sarah. Look at verse 8. He says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which, would he, which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose, maker and, uh, whose builder and maker 
is God. So the life of Abraham was really centered on faith. We know Abraham, he's called the father of faith. His life was centered around these future promises that God made him. He left Ur with his family to travel to a land that he had never seen. Why? Because God made him a future promise that he would give him a land and he would show him this land, so he left. When Abraham arrived there in the land with his family, he knew that God wasn't done. He looked forward to a city which has foundations whose maker and builder is God. So the life of Abraham was forward-focused. It was focused on these future promises of God. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child. And when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised, therefore from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So Abraham and Sarah's faith caused God to work mightily in their life. We see that in the fact that he fulfilled this promise to them of them having a son. God promised that they would have a son and they thought he was, you know, too good to be true. And they waited for years and years and years and after some 20 years when Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham 100, the writer says, yeah, he's basically as good as dead. They had this son. God fulfilled his promise. Now the point of the writer is clear. The life and blessings of Abraham uh, didn't come because they were perfect, but because they had faith in a faithful God. And so his life was future-focused, but also God worked amazingly, amazing things through his life, not because he was a good person, but because he walked by faith in God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so God blessed Abraham and did fulfill some promises, such as give him a son, but when you look at the covenant and the promises that God made with Abraham, these promises were not fulfilled in his lifetime. They were all still future to him. Abraham and Sarah died walking by faith in these future promises. Now the point of the writer is not to discourage the Hebrews by this fact, but it was to relate to them how God was working in their life. You see, first as a believer, God has given us promises but not all these promises that he has given us will receive in this life. A lot of these things are waiting for us in heaven. So Peter says, we have an eternal reward waiting for us in heaven. And they could relate to this as they were under persecution and suffering at that time. Some of them were thinking about returning back to Judaism to you know, alleviate their suffering. And the writer says, no, there is no turning back. There is no compromise. You need to press forward in God's promises. And then he encouraged them and says, hey, you know, by the way, look at Abraham. He pressed forward in God's promises, but yet even though he didn't receive those promises, he still continued to walk by faith. And we're to follow that same example. Second, our faith in God's future promises will have a dynamic effect on our life just as it did Abraham. Just think back about the life of Abraham. The faith and future focus of Abraham changed the way that he lived presently. 
It caused him to step out in faith and travel to a foreign land. It caused him to be content and live as a stranger in a tent with his own family, owning nothing more than a cave in the land of Canaan. It caused Abraham to have assurance and trust in God. And so his focus led to a dynamic life. And the same is true for you and I. As we walk by faith, God is gonna do something amazing in our life. He gives us assurance, he gives us hope. He changes the way that we look at our life and the way that we live. Now Abraham's assurance is exemplified in verses 17 through 19. The writer says, oh yeah, he lived by faith. You know, he had assurance of, of, of God and, and, you know, and the way that God can work and now I wanna give you a greatest example from his life. He says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And so Abraham's assurance is described in verse 13, uh, as described in verse 13, is demonstrated here in these verses. You see, God gave Abraham a promise that through Isaac, Become this great multitude. He said, your descendants will be as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the sea, and it will all come through your son Isaac. And then as years passed, when Isaac was some, somewhere around 30 years old, God told Abraham, okay, Abraham, I want you to go, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him to me as an offering. Abraham didn't hesitate. He, you know, grabbed the things and took his son Isaac. Hey, let's go on a journey. He took his servants. They came to Mount Moriah. There as they got to the mountain, Abraham turned to his servants and said, hey, me and my son, we're gonna go up and worship and then we're gonna both come back to you. And as they were heading up to the mountain, Isaac looked over his dad and said, hey dad, uh, I see the wood, I see the uh, knife, but uh, where's the sacrifice? And he said, son, God will provide himself the lamb for the offering. And as there as he got up on the mountain, Isaac willingly laid down on the altar, you know, and, you know, laid himself there and Abraham lifted up the knife and then God says, okay, Abraham, I see that you trust me. Behold, in the thicket, it's a ram. And the, the ram was offered in the place of Isaac. But we all know that that was a feature picture, right? Of the fact that Christ was sacrificed on that same mountain some years later, there on the Mount of Calvary. God did provide the lamb for sacrifice. But it was much more than a picture. It's a principle for us to follow. And that principle is that Abraham had faith in God. He trusted God. He knew that even though God had made him this promise, if God caused him to kill Isaac, God would continue to work out that promise. How would he do it? Or the writer says here, concluding that God was able to raise him from the dead. And so Abraham believed, hey, if God has called, if God you know, has given me these promises that in through Isaac are, are, you know, are gonna come all these promises, if I have to put my son to death, then God is faithful and powerful enough to raise him again from the dead so that his promises will not cease. And he knew that God would. That's the faith of Abraham. Now, how did he learn that? He learned assurance by God's future promises as he walked by faith. It didn't come overnight, but his faith grew as he pressed forward and kept his future focus. And the same is true for you and I. As we walk by faith, yeah, we might not receive all the promises now here on earth. We're not guaranteed that. But we're promised blessings in the heavenly places. 
right, in Christ. Yes, there are many blessings that come into our life, but a lot of those things that God wants to do in our life is not going to happen until we get to heaven. But that doesn't mean that we have to be discouraged about it. No, as we walk by faith, God wants to do amazing things to us and teach us and give us assurance. Now we come in verses 20 through 21, we see the faith of Israel's forefathers. So the writer is going to continue to work his way through the book of Genesis. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of, his, of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. When you read Genesis 12 through 50, Moses focuses on four people in that latter section. He focuses on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We just got done talking about Abraham. Now the writer is going to focus on Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So he's taking us through the Old Testament. Now he says that these men walked by faith in God's promises. And this truth is brought out by showing just one example from their life. Now, no doubt there are many examples, but he just wants to show us one example because he's trying to make the point that if these Hebrews were to walk in the faith of their forefathers, they need to follow their example and press forward. First, he talked about Isaac. He says, by faith, Isaac, in his old age, blessed Jacob, and then he later rested in that blessing because he was reminded of God's word to him in Rebekah that the older son, Esau, would serve the younger son, which is Jacob. And so, you know, Isaac did give Jacob the blessing, and he rested in that because he knew that God had given him the promise when he, you know, when they were just in, in uh, Rebekah's womb that Jacob would be the greater and Esau would serve him. By faith, we're told that Jacob, as an old man, worshiped God. And when it came time to bless the sons of Joseph, he crossed his hands and he blessed the younger son, Ephraim, instead of blessing the older son, Manasseh. So that was done by faith. It wasn't just an accident. Oh, whoa. No, but it was by faith. He knew what he was doing. Then we're told by faith when Joseph was dying, he instructed his sons to carry his bones out of Egypt to the promised land, which God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, the point of the writer, I believe, in these verses is that their forefathers trusted in the prophetic spirit-given word of God. You see, these men trusted God in his word and as a result, they became a witness and a worker in great things, in the great things that God wanted to do in the history of the nation of Israel. So as the Spirit of God moved on their heart and ministered his word to them, they responded in faith. As God gave his word to Joseph, he also believed in faith. He said, hey, take my bones out because I know God has given us the land. And so when you guys do capitalize on that promise, you know, obey my word. The same is true for the Hebrew Christians and for us. If we're to walk by faith as they did, well, then we need to trust God and his prophetic word. The word of God is our sure foundation. It's what gives us our hope. It's what gives us our sure footing in this world. The world around us is always changing, right? Culture is always changing, but the word of God doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we see God's past promises fulfilled, and we can trust that God's future promises will be fulfilled as well. Now in verses 23 through 29, we see the faith of Israel and Moses in the books of the law. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. 
So Moses' mother had faith in God's prophetic word. She did not obey Pharaoh's command to take her beautiful son and, and kill him, but rather she hid him for three months because she knew God's moral law. She knew what God's word said about murder. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And so Moses was faced with, the, faced with a decision. Would he walk by faith in God and be associated with Israel, or would he remain a member of Pharaoh's household, part of pagan Egypt? Well, Moses chose to follow the faith of his forefathers. That faith brought suffering and affliction. He was now identified with the people of God. But you know what? It didn't bother him because he esteemed those things lightly because he knew that God had great promises for him in walking by faith. The same was true for the Hebrews in this passage. You see, they had a choice to make. Would they go back to Judaism and try to alleviate their sufferings, or would they be associated with the people of God, those who had already suffered for their faith in Christ? And they were to follow the faith of Moses. They were to make that same decision, to press forward, knowing that the promises and, and the blessings of Christ were so much better than anything that the world around them could offer. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So by faith, Moses did not fear the wrath of the Pharaoh, but rather he stood in front of him, strong, and he declared the plagues of God. Now that 10th plague, we all know, was the, you know, was the slaying of the firstborn. And God told Moses, go in there and speak to Pharaoh and tell him, you know, thus says the Lord. And all those who, you know, who don't have the blood on their doorpost, the firstborn is going to be struck. And just as God said, it happened. But Israel and Moses, they believed God. What they do, they put the blood on their doorpost and the death angel passed through. You know, they weren't harmed, but those who didn't fall in faith had their firstborn slain. And that was the driving force for them to say, okay, man, it's time for you guys to get out of here. You know, they went up out of Egypt. But this was all by faith. It was all trusting God and his word. It's the same point over and over and over that the writer's trying to make clear to us. Finally, the writer summarizes God's work through the books of history and the prophets. Look at verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. So no doubt these Hebrews, these Jews grew up hearing all these Old Testament stories. I mean, read to them over and over and over and over, having pride in the faith of their forefathers having pride in the things that God did through Israel in their history. They learned about how their ancestors crossed over the Red Sea by faith. By faith, they stepped out when God made the, you know, the waters a wall. And as the Egyptians went out in the middle of the sea, God brought the sea back. Now, some people doubt that. They say, oh, it's impossible. Well, God did a greater miracle in drowning 
the Egyptian army in a teaspoon of water. Right? So either way, God did a miracle, which obviously it was the, the waters were parted, as the Bible says. But they crossed over by faith. What about them when they went into the cities of Canaan? They went around the city of Jericho seven times, and just as God said, the walls fell, and they conquered that great wall city. They went on to conquer the other walled cities of Canaan by faith. They heard and commended the faith of Rahab, the harlot, the pagan Gentile, who when she heard about Israel coming up out of Egypt, she believed in the God of Israel. Her faith was demonstrated when the spies came to the land to view the land. She hid them and protected them. Why? Because she said that she believed in the God of Israel. And as a result of her faith, her and her family's life were spared. Rahab became a very important part of Israel. She later married a Jew named Solomon. They later had a son named Boaz, who married a woman named Ruth. Ruth and him had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And so by her faith, this woman became a line of the Messiah, of King David. Now the writer said he can keep going on and on and on and giving individual examples, such as those in the book of Judges, such as Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. He could describe the work that God did through David and Samuel by faith. And oh yeah, he says, oh yeah, by the way, and then the prophets too. I mean, so he says, hey, I'm running out of time here just as I'm running out of time right now. I mean, he says, hey, I got, a, I, and I got this long thing I'm trying to tell you. But, and so he begins to summarize. But the focus of the writer here is the great things that God did. Look at verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these having obtained a good testimony, notice, through faith, did not receive the promise. And so the stories that these Jews cherished, the stories that they grew up on, you know, the stories that they wanted to follow, that no doubt they played as children, you know, and playing, you know, acting like the judges and wanting to be like King David, all these things were through faith. The same faith that they were to exercise that God was calling them to do right then. If they would have returned back to Judaism, they weren't going to be returning back to the faith of their forefathers. No, the faith of their forefathers was a faith in future promises. And those future promises are in Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of Judaism. So the writer's point is clear. Notice he says, all these died without receiving the promise. And, and so it, all these promises were still future and they walked by faith as they were. Verse 40, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So here's what the writer says to quote William McDonald. He says, the Old Testament believers were not as privileged as we are. 
Yet think of their thrilling triumphs and tremendous trials. Think of their exploits and their endurance. They lived on the other side of the cross, but we live in the full glory of the cross. Yet how does our lives compare with their lives? This is the cognate challenge of, he, of Hebrews 11. And so the writer says, hey, look at their faith and what the future focus did to them as they walked by faith in God. It affected their lives. But how much more should it affect our lives now as we live on the other side of the cross? As we see that God did provide as Messiah, as they are all waiting in hope for him. We see that fulfillment. We have the complete revelation of God. We know exactly what's going to happen in the end times. We have the end of the book. And the Bible says that we win. We have it all laid out before us. And all these things call us to walk by faith. And as we do, God will do what he did in the past, but even greater things as we trust in him. That's what Christ said. He says, hey, Christ, when he's on earth, says, hey, I've done works, but greater things will you do as we walk in his spirit. Now, once again, the book of Hebrews should leave us with an encouragement, not a discouragement. It's a challenge, but if God has called us to do it, then he'll also empower us to do it. He won't call us to do something that he won't empower us to do. Now, maybe we feel like we're not worthy to do it. Maybe we look at our lives and we think, I can't go out trying to be a bold witness at work. I've made too many failures in my life to try to make a stand. Or maybe you're worried about stepping out and trying to be a bold witness and then making more mistakes as you press forward. Well, tonight, the writer makes it very clear that you don't have to feel like that because God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. Go through this text again on your own and read the actual account of all these people's lives in these books. When you read the life of Abraham, the father of faith, the writer doesn't mention the fact that Abraham went down into Egypt and said that his wife was his sister because he was afraid that Pharaoh might kill him. He doesn't mention the fact also that he said that his wife was his sister again. You know, so, I mean, it, it, you know, it doesn't talk about how he got tired of waiting for God's promises and so he followed his wife's instructions and took, you know, and, uh, took his handmade Hagar and they had Ishmael. And so the writer doesn't record these things. It doesn't record the failures of Samson. It doesn't rec you know, record the failures of Moses, that he struck the rock. So all these people's lives all had failures in them, but yet God wasn't done using their life because of their failures. God was able to still use them. And it shows us that on the other side of the cross, our sins are remembered no more. God is a God who wants to reward. God is a God who wants to bless. He's not waiting to judge. So as we stand in front of the Lord at his Bema seat, he's going to declare those good things that we've done for him in faith. He's not going to pull up all of our past sins. Our past sins, as the Old Testament saints were, all their sins were judged on the cross. Those things are forgotten and gone. The only thing God looks forward to now is those good things that he'll do in us and reward us for in the future. If that's the case, well, then, man, we should have reckless faith. We should go out and step out and see what God might do. And if we fall, the Lord forgives us. And, and he picks us up and says, as Christ said, go and sin no more. So let's run the race to receive the reward and receive the crown. Amen.